This message was recorded during a Cornerstone U class given at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. All right, thanks for coming to the Look Up, Treasuring Christ in a Digital Age, Cornerstone U. It's, uh, looking forward to walking through this class and um, considering what does it look like to use technology, to benefit from technology, to treasure Christ in the midst of a digital technological age. So I'm going to pray for us. And then there, there were outlines in the back, so if you weren't able to grab one, you can grab one um, after I pray. So Lord, thanks for this morning. Thanks for your goodness to us. I do pray for these next few minutes that you would use them in our lives, that you would help us to grow in our understanding of who you are, of what you have done, the, the gifts you give us, and the things you give us to honor you with and bring you glory with. Lord, our ultimate aim is that we do want to treasure Christ in all things. So I do pray these next few minutes would honor you, they would benefit all those here, and that we would leave freshly envisioned um, just for, um, for life, for godliness, for what you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we are amusing ourselves to death. That's a title of a book. It's, it's a great title. It's a, this is not a Christian book, but it's by Neil Postman. This was written in 1984, I believe. And uh, he, oh, 1985. And so this is, it was a prophetic book in a lot of ways. And I'm going to reference it some. But I would say it's a book worth reading if you're into reading books. Uh, this is not from a biblical worldview. It's more of a cultural analysis, uh, specifically with, as you see, TV. So this was written when TV was booming. And so this is how he begins the book. He says, Every, Certain cities have become the focal point of a radi- radiating American spirit. So, for example, Boston in the 18th century, center for political radicalism that had ignited a shot heard around the world. In the mid-19th century, New York, it became the symbol of the idea of the melting pot of America. Chicago, the city of big shoulders and heavy winds, came to symbolize the industrial energy and strength of America with railroads, cattle, steel mills, and the entrepreneurial adventures. And then Postman goes on to say this about today. Today, we must look to the city of Las Vegas as a metaphor for national character and aspiration. Its symbol, a 30-foot-high cardboard picture of a slot machine and a chorus girl. Las Vegas is a city totally devoted to entertainment. All public discourse takes the form of public discourse. Politics, religion, news, athletics, education, commerce have been transformed into a means for show business. As I write, the president of the U.S. is a former Hollywood actor, if he only knew the trajectory of this quote. Postman was addressing the issue of TV. He had no idea of the Internet and all these things that are, that are coming. But he did. I would say he hit the nail on the head of how society was going to be affected in the future. So there were two pictures of where the world was going to go. You had this Orwellian picture. George Orwell said that there was going to be like an oppressive government that was going to control us as citizens, that they were going to control our information, they were going to control what we did. There was that fear, but then you also had um, a gentleman by the name of Aldous Huxley, Brave New World, and 
Contrary to common belief, even among the educated, Huxley and Orwell did not prophesy the same thing. Orwell warns that we will be overcome by an externally imposed oppression. But Huxley's vision, no big brother is required to deprive people of their autonomy, maturity, and history. So this is, I think I put this quote in your outline. So listen to this. This is what Orwell said. What Orwell feared were those who would ban books. What Huxley feared was that there would be no reason to ban a book, for there would be no one who wanted to read one. Orwell feared those who would deprive us of information. Huxley feared those who would give us so much that we would be reduced to passivity and egoism. Orwell feared that the truth would be concealed from us. Huxley feared the truth would be drowned in a sea of irrelevance. Orwell feared we would become a captive culture. Huxley feared we would become a trivial culture, preoccupied with some equivalent of the feelies, the orgy-porgy, and the centrifugal bumble puppy, which I have no idea what that is, but it must have been a 1985 thing. Um, So, I mean... In the end, what Huxley was saying, he was trying to tell the culture, he was trying to tell the world that what afflicted the people in this brave new world was not that they were laughing instead of thinking, but that they did not know what they were laughing about and why they had stopped thinking. So listen to to this. This is from a data never sleeps, numbers of things being generated per minute that we have. This is the amount of information that is streaming every minute of the day. There are $443,000 spent on Amazon, 1 million hours of streaming. There are 500 hours of video uploaded to YouTube. There is 2.43 million snaps used on Snapchat. Now listen, this is per minute, guys, per minute. There are 66,000 photos taken on Instagram. There are 1.7 million pieces of content uploaded to Facebook. 5.9 million searches on Google. There are 16 million texts sent. There are 231.4 million messages sent on email. There is $76.4,000 in orders on DoorDash. There's 104 hours spent on Zoom. So, I mean, it's just data never sleeps. There is an ongoing ambush of information coming at us. Data never sleeps. And that's what I think Aldous Huxley was getting at. He's saying that there's going to be so much coming at us that we won't even be able to discern what is really going on in our world. What is going on? What is there, what is there to be considered? What is actually taking place All this content is being created for our attention, for us to consume and give our attention to. And a lot of this is being created by and used on our phones, iPads, smart TVs. So I'm going to read this quote, and then I'm going to show you some pictures. So hopefully a picture usually speaks for a thousand words. So ready? So hopefully this will work. This is where we're going to use technology, guys. Did this work? See if it works. No. All right, ready? I'm going to try to do this in, as we go. Ready? So today, we spend our time contemplating events, 
we did not want, so this, these are pictures where the people's iPhone is removed, and it's just them looking, but it's capturing it. Today we spend our time contemplating events we did not witness, places we've never been, and people we do not know. This is the time that we do not spend in and with our towns, businesses, churches, communities, friends, and families. We spend more time with ideas about places and people than in and with them, which is another way of saying that we spend more time with ourselves alone, manipulating abstractions instead of navigating realities while downloading a fire hose of information about places we will never go and people we will never meet. Doing so is cheap and pleasurable. We neglect our humanity out of fear that somebody we will never meet in a place we will never go might just be doing something we will never do and we don't want to miss reading about it. Oh, it's so important. (laughs) In this way, we grew to prefer the sterile handshake of the digital to the warm embrace of the actual. In the process, the seeming opposites of solipism, which I don't know what that means, sorry, and fear of missing out conspired in the fatal and final poisoning of our shattered communities. They, in turn, became silent witnesses to the midnight reflection of digitized photons off lonely faces. So, I mean, it's just, I mean, these pictures are striking because it's just, you take, I mean, look at that. I mean, we're just immediately, you just see People are just together, but looking at devices. And it begins early. Affects families. So, I just think those are powerful pictures that, that's all we're going to use it for. But I think it is, it is a moment where you just consider, wow. Wow. I think, I mean, I, you know, as I look at those pictures, I don't think, oh, look at those people, but I begin to look at my own life. I hope um, we begin with our own hearts before we consider those. But those pictures, I think, when I first saw them, were, they were provoking in my own heart of seeing this temptation just to be connected, to be distracted. Drew read this quote on Sunday, but David Wells says, every age has its own challenges. This one is ours. It's the affliction of distraction. Average American, we check our phone every four minutes. Someone goes to the bathroom, pull out our phone. If there's a pause in the conversation, if we're waiting on our coffee order for two minutes, we pull out our phone. One author described the anxiety of going upstairs to switch over his laundry and realizing he didn't have his phone on him. So this is not making a moral judgment on how often we use our phones, but I think what, what I want us to think about is this is having an effect on us. I think like, so the problem, what we have to say is, is technology in and of itself is not the problem. It is not. But it is how are we as Christians, how are we to think about it and how are we to use it? How are we to use it in a way that can glorify God, can benefit one another, can, can actually serve us? And I think there are ways in which to do that. So what I want to do this morning is I want, I want us to highlight, I want to highlight the problem. I want to say, hey, here's what we're dealing with. And then I'll, I'll speak a little bit to solutions, but then these next few weeks, 
Drew and Mike will talk about more specifically, how can we treasure Christ? What are ways that we can do this in our digital age? So even the culture, guys, even the culture is seeing this. Here here are some books that are being written. Distracted, The Erosion of Attention and the Coming Dark Age. Susan Cain wrote, Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World that Can't Stop Talking. John Freeman wrote, The Tyranny of Email. Tim Chowley says that the beep will be the defining noise of our generation. I think that's the defining noise, beep. Whatever the beep is, the message is the same. Pay attention to me. Look to me. Focus on me. Put your attention on me. And this is where from Nicholas Carr's book, The Shallows, what what he's getting at is he began to see the effect that as we look, as we You know, this is a habit. You discipline ourselves to look and to be entertained and to consume. So Nicholas Carr, he's not a Christian, but he wrote a book called The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brain. And this is what he says. Over the last few years, I gave you this quote, I've had the uncomfortable sense that somehow or something has been tinkering with my brain. I feel it most strongly when I'm reading I used to find it easy to immerse myself in a book or a lengthy article. Now, my concentration starts to drift after a page or two. I get fidgety, loose the thread, begin looking for something else to do. I feel like I'm always dragging my wayward brain back to the text. The deep reading that used to come naturally has become a struggle. The net seems to be chipping away my capacity for concentration and contemplation. Whether I'm online or not, my mind now expects to take in information the way the net, the internet, distributes it in a swiftly moving stream of particles. Once I was a scuba diver in the sea of words. Now I zip along the surface like a guy on a jet ski. My brain, I realized, wasn't just drifting. It was hungry. It was demanding to be fed the way the net fed it. And the more it was fed the hungrier it became. Even when I was gone away from my computer, I yearned to check email, click links, do some Googling. I wanted to be connected. So the question for us as Christians, how does, does this have a, an effect on our relationship with God? And all God's people said, yes, <laughs> it does. And we have to come to the reality that this is going to have an effect on our relationship with the Lord. And so what I want to do is I just want to offer what does it look like for we as Christians to live and to embrace a digital age? What, how, do, how do we seek in the midst of, I'm sure many of us can relate to what um, Carr was talking about in that quote, that there is this pull, that there is this temptation to want to just jet ski across information. So what I want to talk about this morning is what does it look like for us as Christians to learn the benefit and the need to contemplate and meditate. So let's read Psalm 1 together. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. As you think about our age, as you think about this age of its distraction, there, there can be no more relevant text than Psalm 1. It shows how we are to hear God's voice and its effect. Listen to Psalm 1. And just think about all, the, all that I just read, all that you just 
Saul. Just think about all the distractions. Just think about everything. Think about all this week. Think about even yesterday and just what you took in, what you looked at, how it, affect, how it affected you. And then listen to the psalm. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. In its leaf it does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous." but the way of the wicked will perish. So Psalm, he begins with where we are not to find happiness, right? So he walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So it's just this progression of going deeper into a way of thinking. There's this walking in counsel, so you're moving through it, but then you begin to stand in it and put your feet down into this um, to this scoffing of God, and then finally you sit. So you're, you're, you're walking in the counsel of the wicked, you're standing in the way of sinners, and then you're seating, sitting in it. It's this idea of just you coming to rest in it. So it just shows how we apart, depart from God's word and can conform to the culture. So we have to realize that if we're not directing our attention and our mind toward God, it's not that we then come neutral. We're being influenced everywhere, and by every Thing And the amazing, I mean, if you think about it, if you realize and if you think about how often we are checking phone, we're looking, we're being entertained, we are being influenced greatly. And so the question then is, is what kind of effect is that having on our hearts? What are we walking in the counsel of the wicked? Are we tempted to stand in the way of scoffers? Are we tempted to seat? or to stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers? Is there a pull on our hearts with certain things that we hear from in our culture? What's interesting as you read Psalm 1 is how relevant. It's just relevant today. It's relevant today. As soon as you get done with an article, there are other suggested articles and links with provocative pictures to capture your attention. Everyone knows Netflix. Next show starts in five seconds. They have that. Do you want? I mean, they they know how to hook you. You can say, watch next show, and then in five seconds, it'll start for you. They hook you. They know. These people are good at what they do. They know exactly what and how to to not only get your attention, but to keep it. There's a reason that we have words now where we binge watch, right? You can binge watch an entire series. You can sit, and you can just watch, I don't know, 10 hours worth of a show in one sitting. And that's just something that we share freely. That's probably something that maybe you have done. And I'm not saying that is necessarily a sinful thing, but it is something that you have to consider. Is that the best use of time? Is that really something that I should do that pleases the Lord? That, and and I don't, I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's not. But I'm going to ask you, that. I'm going to let you, I'm going to pose the question, is it? And then let the Lord, through His Spirit, bring 
bring a conviction. Bring to mind if you think that is a good use of time or not. Average American spends 11 hours a day on technology, on non-work-related, non-work-related. Technology, information, shows, videos, they were a distraction, but, or they used to be. Honestly, it's just the norm. It's the norm now. It is just what, it's the air we breathe. So distraction has become the new normal. It's what we do. There is no break from it. There is no space in our modern lives that can't be filled with entertainment, socializing, recording, or commentary because of, we have this in our pockets. Because it's just right here. And all we got to do is just feel the beep, see the notification. We just we carry this with us. So there's no space in our modern lives. There's this, another author said that there's this electronic buzz of the 21st century, and it's suffocating. It's suffocating. It is choking. I think what I, with these pictures, I think what is so sad is that you see it's suffocating. Not just individuals, but it's suffocating families. It's suffocating children. It's suffocating our culture, it's, it's, it is a, its effect on our civilization is, is striking. When you, when you, those pictures, when you remove those devices and you see what is happening, you see a separation, and really what you see is what he called, you are alone. And I think that's why people feel so alone, because we have surrounded ourselves with friends. We've surrounded ourselves with relationships that are built on this, this technology of mediums. I have a friend through this social media network, through this blog that I read, through this organization, whatever it might be, but it's through something instead of just having a personal relationship. Instead of just saying, I want to enjoy you and know you as a person. And so that is what we are up against. And as Christians, by God's grace, our eyes have been opened. Not just to, there's more to be had in relationships, but what are God's purposes for creating us? What are God's purposes for uniting us to himself? What are God's purposes for giving us a mind to think and eyes to read and mouths to speak and hands to use? It is to be used for his glory and it's to be, it's to be used so that we can know him more and we can help others know him more. That is why. And so I do think with all my heart, there is a way which we can treasure Christ in a digital age. There is a way to do this. It is not wrong to watch a show. It is not wrong to watch a movie. It is not wrong to have a social media account. It, if we start there and, that's, and we just change behavior, we're not getting to the heart of it. And what Jesus wants, He doesn't want our good works. That's why He sent His Son. He sent His Son, but He does want our hearts. So He doesn't want us to just change our behavior. He does want us, though, to treasure Him. And from treasuring Him, from that will come good works. From that will come a life, when you look at it, that will be different than this world. So that the, where we have to start is, is, am I treasuring Christ? And am I living my life in such a way that it's helping me to treasure Christ more? And how does technology... And, and this is just one piece, right? This is just one piece of your life. But it is a, it is a significant piece because technology has an incredible influence on our lives. So it's worth asking the question. So Matthew 13, 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. It's from the parable of the sower. 
There is a choking that can come of this. It's a warning that we need to hear, that we want to hear. The deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this world, it can choke out. And what it chokes out is the voice of God. What it chokes out is what we treasure more than anything, and that is Christ. What begins to happen, and this is, this is where sin and Satan in this world, it, can be, it, it starts in a very subtle, it's very subtle. No one, no, one, no one wakes up. I'll use the example of a marriage. No one, a husband just doesn't wake up one morning and think, oh, I'm going to commit adultery on my wife. No, no. It is, a, it is a slow, slow drift. It is a gradual giving in to temptation. It is a gradual shift where this husband is beginning to give in to sin and temptation slowly. And he's hardening his heart and he's giving himself to this world and he's giving himself to these voices and images or this relationship that is not his wife. And as he does that, there is a hardening that will eventually lead him to commit just such a grievous sin against a woman, which he, at the beginning, looked in the eye and said, I will be faithful. There's a slow drift. And we have to start. What I hope this morning is that if you are feeling entrenched and enslaved to this, if you feel like, man, that image is me, that I'm being, I feel this suffocating, I, God's word to you this morning is you can be free. You can live in the goodness of knowing Him. You can. God has not less for you, but more. He has Himself for you. So you can. In this moment, I think it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. So God is wanting to highlight these things for all of us to say, evaluate, repent, change, and come to me. Come to me. Enjoy me. So I think what what the Lord wants us to do He wants us to sit. He wants us to be quiet. He wants us to read and think and pray and meditate. I think He wants us to be able to be a people who can be still and know that He is God. And what that takes for us is vigilance. What that takes for us is you have to actually think about this and have a plan and have and this is where Mike at the end is going to, you're going to have to think through what does tech-wise living look like? There is, you need wisdom. You need habits. You need things placed in your life because guess what? This thing, it will never shut up. This thing, it's always going to be there. It's going to be right here. Hey, look at me. I'm over here. Remember me. And all it takes, you know, you start getting on here. I've had a friend tell me, you know, you start scrolling 30 minutes later, you know, no, that was... But you can, but seriously, you start reading, you can get on, you can look, and you just get sucked in. You just get sucked in. And then there's like 30 minutes gone. Just gone. And, and, and you know what the most valuable thing we have in this life is? It's time. That's what Ephesians talks about. The days are evil. Time is passing. That we don't get this time back. We, we, can, we can't just reverse it and be like, okay, help. I'm going to go back and... No. We have to learn to live in the present. To be able to enjoy God in the present. And to be able to do that will take work. It takes planning. It takes energy. It takes intentionality. And the Lord has given us ways in which we can enjoy Him. He hasn't left us to ourselves to, do, to make these decisions. So Donald Whitney writes this, I believe... The convenience of sound has contributed to the spiritual shallowness of contemporary Western Christianity. Because of this, and because we are the most urban, 
noise-polluted generation ever, we have an unprecedented need to learn the disciplines of silence and solitude. Reflection and meditation takes time and attention. And this is, you want to talk about one of the scarcest resources in our digital age? It is silence and it is solitude. If you and we as Christians, if we can build into our lives times where we can have silence and solitude to where we can stop and read and think and meditate and enjoy the Lord, I think there will be a refreshing, there will be a listening, there will be a fellowship that we are missing out on because we are so distracted. Because it is hard. It's a muscle that we, that I would say, has atrophied. That is actually, it's not just that it's weak. I would say that it's not used. And we have to just slowly build it and work it out to where you can. All right, here's what I'm going to do. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to read my Bible for 10, 15 minutes, and I'm going to put my phone in a place where I can't hear it, where I don't know where it is, and you just start there. And you begin to build. You, know, you don't have to say, all right, next week I'm doing a fast. I'm not touching my phone. Or No. You can say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work. Here's where I'm going to start. And I'm going to build from here. And I'm going to have accountability. And I'm going to do this because I want to know God more. Because I want to, I've been distracted. And I want to meditate. And I want to have silence. And I want to have ref- times for reflection. So here, here's the questions you need to ask yourself. What kind of person do you want to be in five to ten years? How would you like to grow? You want to be more loving, more patient, more kind, more peaceful, less anxious, wiser with your speech, filled with God's word and wisdom, more understanding of how to think about deeper issues? Then you have to ask yourself, what can you do today? What, what, what can you do today to get there? And, and, the, and the answer is probably not what we spend our, a lot of our time doing. We have to create space in our lives to meditate and know God. And we have to kill distractions to do this. So let's return to Psalm 1. Look at verse 2. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. The happy man or woman is the one who delights in the law of the Lord, the one who meditates on it day and night. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Because here's why, this is not a legalistic moment. Joshua is not saying if you just if you do these things, God will make will bless you. God will do this if you do the right. No, what he's saying is you will love God. You will love his ways. You will want to live according to him. And why do we obey God? This is what I ask my kids. Why do we obey God? It's because he loves us and we want to know God. We want to know his word and we want to live unto him because because he loves us. And that's what we get when we meditate and we know God and we enjoy God and we live according to his ways. Our way will be prosperous because he's the God who created the world and everything in it. He has the best definition to success in this life. It is knowing him and loving him with all our heart and loving our neighbor. If you want to sum up the law. That's what he wants for us. 
And he, and, and, and he has kindly and generously and sufficiently given us his word so that we can know him. So that we can know him fully. In the sense of fully in the sense that all that I need to know about God, to enjoy him as my father and Lord and Savior, he has given us in his word. And we can enjoy him in that. Psalm 77, 12 says, I will ponder all your work and meditate on all your mighty deeds. deeds. Our social digital age, they want to build us more into ourselves. They want you to think more about you. They want to create. This is the scary part now, is they are able to create a world where everyone agrees with you. Where everyone sees the world as you see it. And you can be deceived in thinking, well, yes, everyone thinks this way about this issue. Every, I mean, look at this. I have all these posts and all these people that are they're sharing the same thing. We live in a world where that, that type of world can be created. And we can create it. And it can be given to us through social media, through all these things, through what we click and how much we click it, through the, the time that we look at a post is being documented and used in the future for us to bring more Oh. They stopped right here for about five seconds. So they must have liked something about this post. So I'm going to give them more of these posts. That, that is what is going on in our social media digital age. They are after our hearts. They are wanting to create a world which we like. And they know human nature. That's what I love about this. They know human nature. They know what do humans love. They love themselves. They want this, the world that they want to live in. They know this about us. And so that's the world that they create. And that's the, what they make money on. And they're very good at it. And we have to, as Christians, we have to be mindful of that. We have to be mindful that they are after, they're, they're after our hearts and what they see, whenever they see, what, what we click, what we look at, what we spend our time in. What comes from that is what we desire. It's what we love. That's a whole other issue. What are we spending most of our time looking at? What are the things that we're clicking on? What are the things that, that we, if you kind of look at our feed, what are those things that are being highlighted? These are important questions. We have to, and this is what I love about this, we have to look up. God is gracious. God, God and, I want, and in that looking up, God is not saying, look up. No, he's, he's our Father. He is saying, look up. Look up. Here I am. I have not left you. Because of Christ, I will never leave nor forsake you. Look up. Look what I have done for you. Look what I have provided for you. Do you, do, you, do you hear my voice? Look at my eye. Look up. That's what he's inviting us to. He's not, he's not coming heavy-handed, saying, I wish you would give me more time and attention. I'm just lonely over here, and I could use some more attention from you. No, God loves us so much. He knows what is best for us. God does not need our attention. We need God. God does not need us. And what he is doing is saying, look up. I'm here. You can know me. You can enjoy me. Meditate on my law day and night. I will prosper your way. It, it may be a hard way. It may, it, it may to this world look like unsuccess. It may look like that it is just failure. But in my eyes, you will have my smile. In the world to come and eternity, you will rejoice seeing me face to face. And my dwelling place will be with you. 
and all that you have done, all the time, all the sacrifice, all the meditation, all the things that you have done will be for your good and my glory, and you will not regret it. And so what we have to fight to do in all this is to meditate and to know God. Google's user experience director said this, our goal is to get the user in and out really quick. All our design decisions are based on that strategy. On that strategy. So they want you quickly from page to page, link to link, click to click. There are t- Donald Whitney says this, there are times to eliminate the voices of the world in order to hear un- the undistracted voice of God. I need to stop. Um, sorry. I always have way too much information on this. Um, the good thing is you got three more classes. Um, but here, here's, here's, what I would, here's what I want to end on. I just, I just want to say, I want you to hear. Here's what here's will come. Here's, as you see this, the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates, here, here's what he is like. He is like a tree. He's planted by streams of water. Yields fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they're like chaff that the wind drives away. So do you want stability in your life? Do you want this picture of fruit and, and being rooted in something? Then what you want more than anything is to delight and meditate on the law of the Lord. The wicked, their ways may look great. At times you might think, man, it looks like they're having a great time. But guess what the psalmist would say? They're like chaff. You don't know what chaff is. What they would do, they would take it off when they're growing the, from the harvest. They would take these plants that would, and they would be light and brittle. And what, literally what they would do, they would just toss it up in the wind, take all the chaff away. So just think about that. Just That's how light, that's how momentary the wicked are. They have, no, they, have, they have no foundation. They have no security. All it takes, just right like this, the wind, gone. But the ones who, who meditate on the law of the Lord, who seek to know Him, who, who follow His ways, they are rooted, planted, secure. And so lastly, what I would say, I'm just going to end with this. Proverbs 25, 28 says this, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. I think a lot of this, it is the battle against one more click. And, let's, and that imagery, I love that imagery because walls are security. In this time and age, when they were writing this, walls meant that you were secure. You were, you were not vulnerable to enemies and outside forces. If we don't, and that is self-control for us. Self-control is a way to protect. It is a way to keep us from being vulnerable from outside forces and temptations. And so the good news is, is that self-control is not accomplished through white-knuckling saying, no, 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 no. Self-control is the fruit of the Spirit that God has said is dwelling within us as believers. And we, through the power of the Spirit, can live self-controlled lives. And we, by the Spirit, can enjoy God and have a life where that is what Joshua said, what the psalmist says, that is prosperous, that is successful. And it's, so it's not, okay, I got the successful life is not get rid of all technology. That's not the goal. The goal is I treasure Christ and I want to know him so much that even in the way that I use technology, it is benefiting. It is helping. It is not pulling away, but it is in a way that glorifies my, my Lord and Savior because I treasure him so much. And I may, and I may, and I will fall short 
of the standards which I set, but I have a Savior who will forgive me and help me and be with me, and I will grow, and I will seek the Lord, and I will humble myself, and I will meditate day and night, and I will want to look back on my life and say, Lord, I wanted to know you, and you were faithful. Your promise, you who began a good work in me, will bring it to completion. Yes, Lord, you did that, and I thank you for it. So let's pray. So Lord, I do pray for these individuals. I pray you would help them. I pray you would help me in this distracted age. Lord, help us to know you, to meditate on you, to to seek with all our hearts, to hear your voice. There's so many voices, Lord. May yours be the loudest. Help us, Lord, I pray. Anyone here who feels condemned, anyone here who feels overwhelmed, I pray that they would hear and sense that you are, this is not you wanting to overwhelm them, but this is you wanting to free them. And that because of Christ, they can receive help. So as they humble themselves and as they seek to do this, let them know, let all of us know that you will be with us and you promise. So we boast in our weakness and we say that your grace is sufficient. So Lord, we're weak in areas, but we trust in the sufficiency of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. You've been listening to a Cornerstone U class given at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Cornerstone U exists to have our minds renewed by the Word of God, to see who God is, and to live in light of His Word and Gospel. To find out more about previous Cornerstone U classes, visit us on the web at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com forward slash cornerstone U.